you are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, Hoops Heads. Welcome to Locked On Warriors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Tuesday, January 30th. I'm your host, Aliko Carter. Wow, nobody saw that coming. Blake Griffin, now a member of the Pistons, and the Clippers, as we know it, are are over. They're gone. They're dead. DeAndre Jordan's on the block. Lou Williams is on the block. And the Pistons, who are in the ninth spot in the East, just maybe got better. They have Twin Towers now, and Stan Van Gundy's going to have a ton of fun fiddling with Blake Griffin's game. It's going to be fun to watch, you know? They, they might butt heads, but Blake Griffin is used to playing with strong-willed coaches and guys who like to be in control, you know, with Doc Rivers uh, specifically, and guys who were GMs for their teams as well. Doc had that job, of course, lost it, whereas Stan Van was the guy who pulled the trigger on this trade and ultimately saw something in Blake Griffin that made him think, hmm, I might... I might need this guy to turn my season around. 22 and 26 right now are the Pistons. And so Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley are gone. And, you know, Stan Van is probably looking at his chops right now, looking at Blake Griffin and thinking about all the ways he can utilize him. You know, in a Stan Van system, Blake Griffin is one of the best passing big men in the league, and you can just see him in the pivot, dribble handoffs, passing to shooters who are zipping and zapping and dipping and darting around the, the, the floor cutting to the basket, slipping screens, finding Drummond on the weak side. You know, he's used to playing next to a big guy who inhales rebounds and plays around the rim, and Drummond plays a similar game to DeAndre Jordan. Blake's been used to that, and he's going to fit right in. The Clippers, on the other hand, have hit the reset button completely, and, uh, you know, can we say that the Warriors killed the Clippers? I mean, the Clippers did come away with one spoil of war that is Jerry West, who probably had a lot to do with this trade. And, you know, it's one of those things that comes with the passage of time, you know. Six straight seasons, they went to the playoffs, the Clippers, that is, and that era is over. The Chris Paul, Blake Griffin era is is kaput. The Warriors are still ascended, but the basketball gods are fickle, and we should be thankful. There's going to be excerpts from Locked On Clippers and Locked On Pistons in the third segment. We're going to go around the NBA. A ton of very interesting things have happened. Noah is out in New York. He's, you know, chirping at Jeff Hornacek, and Jeff Hornacek isn't having it. Uh, Nikola Miritich was almost traded to the Pelicans. Uh, Russell Westbrook is back with a vengeance, and the Thunder are on a long winning streak. John Wall is out for two months. Anthony Roberson is out for the season, and Jabari Parker is back. A ton of NBA happenings. We're going to try to get to it all. In the second segment, I'm going to briefly discuss Kevin Durant, my Warrior of the Week, who's been dropping dimes. And in the first segment, it's another slow-paced opponent in the Jazz tonight at altitude. The Warriors playing in Salt Lake City, and we'll get into that. But first, I want to talk to you about my media. You can find my written media on Forbes.com. I've also been featured on BleacherReport.com. You can get this podcast anywhere. Spotify, Google Play, iOS, iTunes, 
LockedOnWarriors.com. Make sure you bookmark that page. You can find us on Facebook, Locked On Warriors. Also, check out Locked On NBA Net on Facebook for all of your NBA podcast needs. And this is a special treat for me. Former front office maven for the Raiders, Amy Trask, did an interview with Locked On NFL. So make sure you check out Locked On NFL this week because that interview was fantastic. And she is just a great interview and an NFL icon, really. One of the first female leaders in any front office in the NFL and uh, definitely worth a listen. Find me on Twitter at Kojitare, K-O-G-I-T-A-R-E, or at Locked On Dubs. I tweet from both accounts. You can also get in touch with me via email at AlikoCarter11 at gmail.com. That's A-L-I-K-O Carter11 at gmail.com. Now let's get to this game. The Jazz come in with the league's 26th ranked pace. They're slow. They're plotting. They like to get their set pieces, get their guys going. Unfortunately, one of their guys, Rodney Hood, is uncertain for tonight. He's missed the last four games with an, a leg, some sort of leg injury. Uh, and so he's questionable. And Tabo Selfalosha, season-ending surgery to repair an MCL. So that's a blow to their defense. And... Uh, you know, they still have Rudy Gobert, who is averaging 12 and 10 for this team. You can count on him for two and a half blocks. He's very, very efficient from the floor. He gets most of his shots right around the rim. And yeah, he sets tough screens, and he's a tough guy. He doesn't like being shown up. Him and Derek Favors control the offensive glass, so that's something the Warriors are going to have to watch out for. Donovan Mitchell has been a rookie revelation, scoring 19.2 points. Uh, and is right right there at the front of the line with Ben Simmons for Rookie of the Year, taking more shots than anybody else on the team at 16 and shooting 51% from two, though only a pedestrian mark from three at 34%. But talk about putting your trust in a rookie. Quinn Snyder really just putting the ball in Donovan Mitchell's hands, and he's making things happen for his team. Without the scoring of Rodney Hood, it's going to be hard to keep up with the Warriors, so Joe Ingles will try. He does put up 5.3 three-point attempts a game. We might expect Joe Johnson to play a more pivotal role here as well without two important scoring wings and defensive wings. You know, I don't know how much gas he has left in the tank in this, his 18th season, I believe, in the league, uh, but they need somebody to put the ball in the basket tonight. I want to keep talking about this game, but we have to take a quick break for our sponsors. We're going to come back, talk about this game, and really just try to fit in Kevin Durant uh, and his passing in a short, short Warrior of the Week before we go around the NBA in the third. And we're back, and I want to get right back to the Jazz. Ricky Rubio, always a tough cover, but Steph is showing that he wants to guard these guys, these really quick, crafty ones who make things happen off the dribble. And he stayed with Kyrie as best he could yesterday. Honestly, I thought that he did a good job, and Kyrie is just an incredible shot maker. But he did what he was supposed to do. He funneled him into the big men in the center of the court or along the baseline. He put his hands in the right spots to get steals and to, you know, be a nuisance in the passing lanes, but didn't over gamble. And, uh, you know, I, you know, you, you can't really say anything but solid, you know, B plus 
uh, you know, A minus effort from Stephen Curry on the defensive end, and uh, it showed. But here I am talking about that Celtics game again. I mean, my sweet lord, what a game! And uh, I can't remember who said it, uh, but uh, I was listening to the radio earlier today, and uh, it's probably Damon Bruce, and he said they played forty six minutes of checkers, uh, chess, and then the game devolved into something beautiful. Two minutes of just putting the ball in the best player's hands and saying go. Two minutes of checkers, and it was you know, it was a playoff type of game. That's kind of what happens in the playoffs. The score was a playoff type of score. The atmosphere was a playoff type of atmosphere, and I would love to see this team, if the basketball gods deem it so destined in the finals. That would be pretty fun. Uh, but there's some other good teams vying for that position, and we're going to talk about those on Friday with Miles. But back to the Warriors. Patrick McCaw is back after being held out the last two games with a mid-back strain. And Curry's experiencing some right shoulder soreness. But he's expected to play. So the Warriors are pretty healthy. No Jordan Bell yet. Uh, evaluation is coming up in a few days. But for the most part, we should see our regular rotations. And this might be a game you see some JaVale McGee who is big, big guy and uh, can match up with Rudy Gobert, match up with that big front line alongside Draymond. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that obviously David West is going to give you good minutes in those second and fourth quarters at the beginning. Sean Livingston as well. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see McCaw in the lineup and Young out of the lineup for this one. I think this is a game that suits McCaw a little bit more. But it's time to move on to Kevin Durant, our Warrior of the Week. Uh, last week got uh, career-high 14 assists in a game against the New York Knicks. 40 assists on the night for the Warriors on that night. And then followed it up with a triple-double, 11 assists. And the first time that he's had back-to-back 10-assist games in his career. Second triple-double of the season against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They had 37 assists in that game only two assists against the Boston Celtics but we're not going to fault him for that he played well in the win and Stephen Curry was truly transcendent but man can we talk about Kevin Durant and his ability to come up with reasonable facsimiles of other players you know I talk about Stephen Curry because there's nobody who's ever been like him but what Kevin Durant does is take amazing skills that we've seen in different players and combine them together. And he did his best Magic Johnson impression in these last two games, along with the scoring that we've seen, you know, that is as silky smooth as a Dr. J or Bernard King and uh, as stifling defense as a David Robinson or somebody like that. I mean, he's bringing it everywhere and he's picking his spots and in these two games against the Knicks and the Timberwolves he saw that his guy Steph was just on one and he found Steph he found Draymond he found Clay well not so much Clay who's been going through a bit of a slump over the last few games and he's made things happen uh passing the ball rebounding the ball still playing very good defense on the ball and from the weak side and scoring when necessary and uh you know just uh, uh, obviously Steph well-deserved Western Conference Player of the Week but Kevin Durant is well-deserving of our praise as well and we're going to look at some of these dimes my personal favorite from the Knicks game it was 
late in the second quarter. Kevin Durant gets the ball on a rebound, runs the ball up the court in the fast break on the right side, finds Stephen Curry in between two Knicks. Pinpoint pass. You can't make a mistake on that pass. And Stephen Curry catches the ball in stride on the left side at the three-point line. Buckets. That's vision, you know? That's pinpoint passing, and that's just, that's touch. That's the touch of a guard. He wasn't looking for a shot, only 14 points in this game, but uh, the next game, man, he just did it all. 28 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, and one of my favorite assists from this one, with about five minutes to go in the second quarter, Durant's running the ball up the right side again in the fast break. Finds Andre Iguodala streaking to the basket with a perfect bounce pass that gets by all of the Wolves defenders. Straight away dunk for Iguodala. Once again, you can't make a mistake on that pass or it's a turnover. It has to be a bounce pass, can't be a chess pass. Gosh, I sound like Jim Barnett. But seriously, you, 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 can't, you can't do it. And he just makes this perfect, perfect pass. I'd love to see him in the skills challenge. I was talking with Miles last Friday and, you know, called him the original unicorn. And I think that that's true. He's always paid, played at, power, at uh, small forward. Because he's been a small forward, we call him a small forward. He's not a unicorn. The man is six foot eleven at least with a seven foot three wingspan. He shouldn't be able to do the things he does. But, you know, he does and we love him for it. And Kevin Durant is my warrior of the week for this week. Before we go around the NBA, I want to talk to you about sponsoring the Locked On Warriors podcast. If your company is interested in men between the ages of 18 and 44, look no further than Locked On Warriors. Our podcast is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 and 44. Podcasts are on fire. And if men are your target demographic, definitely send me an email at alicocarter11 at gmail.com. I'll get back to you with all the details. Our rates are super reasonable. But enough about that. Let's get to the latest at the trade deadline. We're going to have excerpts from Locked on Clippers and Locked on Pistons in this segment. First, we're going to go to Lucas Han at Locked on Clippers. So, the Clippers traded Blake Griffin. I'm Lucas Han, host of the Locked on Clippers podcast. I'm going to walk you through the Clippers' perspective on this deal. The first thing that you have to know about this deal is it's tremendously emotionally impactful for Clippers fans, probably in a way that it doesn't impact the new members of the front office, Steve Ballmer, who's owned the team for a few years, Jerry West, who's newly brought in. Blake Griffin was picked with the Clippers' first overall pick in 2009. He's been at the center of every discussion regarding the organization in the last nine years. He scored over 10,000 points for the team. He's been an all-star five times. He's been on an all-NBA team four times. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. And in a big part, even more than the Chris Paul era, the overall Blake Griffin era, which started before and now stretched half a season after Chris Paul's time with the team, lifted the Clippers out of irrelevance and kind of put them on the national map, put them in nationally televised games, put them in sports center highlights in a way that they just hadn't been before. Um, and probably in a way that, that a lot of other teams or t- fan bases might not be able to understand because there are few teams in sports that were as irrelevant before that 2009 draft as the Clippers had been. But Blake Griffin made the team relevant. He made people care about them. And even with all of his faults, with his shortcomings, he certainly is not someone who was popular with other fan bases around the league, but he is a guy who has meant a lot 
to the Clippers and their fans over the last decade. And so it means a lot to these fans that Blake Griffin has been moved. But from the front office's perspective, they almost can't afford to look at it in that emotional light. And they felt as though Blake Griffin, about to turn 29 years old in March, with his injury history, having missed significant amounts of games in each of the last three years, having missed 15 games so far this season, seemingly always getting banged up and hurt just in time for the playoffs um, and not being at his best in the postseason. And with a massive five-year contract that the Clippers just had to give him last summer to retain him, they felt like it was something that they had to get out of for the long-term benefit of the team and of being able to build a winning and championship contending team. Frankly, they felt like paying Blake Griffin $30 million a year this year and more in each of the next four years after this one was not something that they could build a championship team around. And that's not something that, that is easy to swallow for Clippers fans who have loved Blake Griffin for so many years. It's you know Maybe it's not something that ends up being a good trade. Uh, the package they got for him certainly isn't something that blows you away. It wasn't some godfather offer. They got Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban Marjanovic, a 2018 first-round pick and 2019 second-round pick from the Pistons, which is a decent package, but I think it's the kind of package that says to me the Clippers were looking to move Blake Griffin to get out from under this contract to try to retool and rebuild on the fly rather than the Pistons called the Clippers with some phenomenal offer that blew the Clippers away and they just had to trade Blake Griffin even though it wasn't something that they wanted to do. And so I think that this is a really, really telling move for where the front office is, how they evaluate this roster and the other players on the roster, and what they think the right move is going forward for this team with you know, in regards to other trades and other free agency moves. I think the Clippers are going to continue to sell talent at the deadline, which is not something that I necessarily foresaw them doing. I certainly didn't think they would move Blake Griffin, but guys like Lou Williams, guys like DeAndre Jordan, even a newcomer like Avery Bradley are all guys that the Clippers could look to move in the next 10 days as we head towards the trade deadline, trying to acquire more draft picks, more young talent, create more cap flexibility going forward. It is going to be fascinating to see what this franchise and front office does in the next 10 days and in the weeks and months to come heading into the draft and free agency. And it's really, really going to be interesting to me to track in the next five years how this trade looks for each team, both in how Blake Griffin, whether he's able to stay healthy or not, what his production levels look like in Detroit, how his game ages as he reaches 32 years old at the end of his contract, and how his deal may limit Detroit's cap flexibility. On the other hand, from the Clippers' perspective, are they ever able to find a talent like Blake Griffin again to build this team around? And if they aren't, it could be a failure even if the contract would have been crippling. So it's definitely something that's going to be really, really interesting to keep an eye on. If you want more coverage of this deal and of the Clippers heading into the trade deadline, be sure to ch- check out the Locked On Clippers podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at LucasJHan and check out ClipsNation.com. Here's Matt Shook's take from Locked On Pistons. The Pistons got Blake Griffin in a big deal on Monday afternoon. Blake's been one of those villains, that one of those guys you have loved to hate over the past several years on the other side of the court. But the good news is that's basically Pistons' DNA. Now, it's not exactly the same way that Griffin's built his reputation that the Pistons had over the past several decades with their toughness that has been personified over the years. But we will see how it goes. 
And certainly it's a lot of money for a long time for a guy with a big injury risk. But we've seen Detroit teams in the past, they've needed to find different ways to get top talent. They haven't really made things happen in free agency. And Stan Van Gundy has not made it happen through the draft in his four years so far with the Pistons as well. But hey, the move, it's something interesting. And it's, that's more than we can say about what this team has done over the past decade. It's a franchise that's been lost in the woods since the going-to-work era. Really not much good to say about this team. Really not much to say about this team at all. As far as the deal, they didn't give up Luke Kennard, which would have been pretty much a disaster. They didn't give up Stanley Johnson while his value is low and the team could maybe be opportunistic and buy low for him in his third year. So there's some things to like about it. They got rid of the Bobon's contract, which is a good thing as well. They did give up that first-round pick, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot in this draft to love past the top seven or eight players and hopefully the Pistons pick doesn't end up in the top seven or eight. Right now, I've advocated on this podcast about trading Avery Bradley a bunch in the past couple of weeks, so you know where I stand there. As far as Tobias Harris, certainly we're not crazy about losing him in Pistons Nation. He's a great guy, an easy guy to root for for the fans, but all season we've kind of waited for a little bit more from him. He got better going into last year and kind of carried this last year's team through a, a horrible season and has been the most reliable scorer this season as well. But we've talked a lot about some of those quiet 20-point games that we've always been waiting for a little bit more from him. He can't seem to get to the free throw line in, in, late in games and can't really be a good scorer in the fourth quarter. We need someone who can get a bucket a little bit easier than that. Well, Blake Griffin is here, and he's that guy. He's a wide body. He's a crafty scorer. I remember when the Pistons beat the Clippers this year, Griffin at times can kind of just put his butt right into Anthony Tolliver, take him down to the lane, and did a lot of work on one of the top defenders in the league, although Tolliver's uh, not as strong as Blake Griffin, and that was going to be a matchup problem. But those are some of the matchup problems that the Pistons will look to exploit when they have Blake Griffin on their side, and it's something they didn't have before. Another interesting thing with Griffin is, what does this do to Andre Drummond's spot in the high post of the offense? We saw that Andre's had good court vision there, but also saw that he was limited when some of the things broke down initially when that high post offensive set. No way was Andre going to be knocking down anything outside of eight feet, but he also couldn't drive to the hole when he tried to go from the three-point line as well. Seems like Blake Griffin would be good for that spot in the post, but then what do you do with Andre? But I think some of those thoughts of this guy's in the high post, this guy's in the low post kind of oversimplifies things a little bit. There are a lot of possessions in an NBA season, and why can't guys alternate between spots in the posts along the way? And along those lines, Andre with his you know, maybe get him back a little bit towards the baseline, not in a post-up position, but kind of out of the way a little bit at times, uh, stay out of the way of Blake's uh, real estate in the post, maybe set some screens on the perimeter, and also kind of um, take advantage of maybe some of the defense sagging towards Blake, look for lobs as well. And then a lot of this Pistons uh, franchise hinges on Reggie Jackson getting back healthy, and maybe we'll see if uh, Blake and Reggie can kind of duplicate some of the success they had in Lob City with uh, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin there. But some other scattered thoughts. This is probably an indication that Stan Van Gundy is back for next season to coach out the fifth and final year of his contract and also in the front office as well. Whatever happens the rest of the way with this season, you can make the argument that this move and this new team is going to take more than the 34 games left this season to be analyzed. But my bottom line is this. Before the trade, there was nothing really to like about this Pistons team this season and really not much to look forward to next year, too. Well, now it will be interesting, which is more than we could say on Monday morning. Since the trade, which was only a couple hours ago now, 
I've heard from about 20 different people on texts, and I promise you that these are not people who are thinking about the Pistons over the weekend. I threw out a query on Twitter about what do you think and got all sorts of responses, most of them negative, but at least that there were some responses there. Plus, hey, the Pistons are in the news for the first time in a long time, and that's a good thing for a change. Will it be a good thing a few years from now? I'm certainly skeptical about it, but it might be fun to find out. There you have it. Matt Shook from Locked On Pistons and Lucas Hand from Locked On Clippers. That's what having a network of experts will do for you when you have breaking news such as a trade like this. Big time news and we're right on top of it. Just time for a quick trip around the NBA and we'll start in Oklahoma City where Anthony Roberson is out for the season. What's that going to mean for that really, really just stifling defense in Oklahoma City? And then also Russell Westbrook going on a tear right now for the Thunder and making sure that they're back in the conversation for one of the best teams in the Western Conference. It looks like they're gelling. I've been watching a lot of Thunder games lately, and it seems like Russ is a little less out of control than he was at the beginning of the season. Paul George and Carmelo Anthony are finding their spots and picking their spots better. They're getting more opportunities. The rotations make a little bit more sense. So Paul George is out there by himself, uh, not by himself, but with talent and without Russ on the floor with the ball in his hands, getting those usage rates up and you know, knocking down a ridiculous number from three, something like 41%, and also making sure that he's nabbing more steals than anybody else in the league. Playing great on-ball defense, great in the passing lanes, and you know, switching onto every team's you know, threat. They're on a seven-game win streak now, and they're blowing out some teams. They're blowing out most of the teams that they're playing right now. Only close game was 109-108 against the Brooklyn Nets at home, so they played down to the competition in that one. But blowing out teams, making things happen. In Washington, John Wall is out two months. Miles says the season is over, so there you have it from the expert. Nikola Miritich was almost traded to the Pelicans. They had a package together, but it fell apart. That's too bad. You know, with Boogie gone, you know, you, you want the Pelicans to try to right the ship, and Nico would have fit right in with the Alvin Gentry offense. And in the last note, Jabari Parker is going to play his first game since tearing an ACL. It's the second ACL injury he's had as an NBA player, and I believe the third overall of his career. He's going to come back and try to help the Bucks stay in the playoff race with their new coach interim coach Joe Prunty, who I know literally nothing about, so I'm going to get some information about him after I'm done with this podcast. That's it for me. Join me tomorrow where I'll be recapping the game. Against the Jazz, we're going to do our statistical deep dive, and I'll be bringing you a segment about the Warriors coaches that I couldn't bring you today because of all of the news around the NBA. So stay tuned for tomorrow, and stay thoughtful, Hoops Heads. Hoops Heads.